Brothers and sisters, good morning. Once again, I'm Brother Vittorio. And I was talking with Father Angelus. He's actually the one giving the talk this morning. All right? uh, but he asked me to just to share a few words about myself, maybe to answer the, the who's that question. So um, I was born outside of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, raised there. A very loving family. And I always start with my family because I believe the vocation begins in the home. And really, I think all of us believe that. And it starts with my father. And and it's probably the favorite, my most favorite image. Uh, and I go back to it quite often. But my dad, uh, you know, no matter how good or bad his day was, at the end of every day, he was on his knees at his bedside. And I love that because I knew he was praying for my mom, for my brother, for myself. And I used to sneak up as a little boy. I used to peek into my parents' room and I'd see my dad, you know, hands folded, head bowed in his hands. It was beautiful, beautiful, very powerful. And it taught me the importance of prayer. It taught me the importance of faith. So I carried that with me throughout my life. And, uh, you know, you make good and bad decisions here and there. I got to college and experienced uh, the fullness of college in its various forms. No need for explicit detail. <laughs> um, but I, I had a very powerful encounter with a priest when I was in college. I went to Penn State University. And Father Larry Richards came and gave a talk to us. And he spoke on the passion of our Lord. And, and in his own way, you know, he's a very dynamic preacher. He acts out every single role in the passion. And, and I was blown away by his performance. I was blown away by the message. And what Father Larry does is that he stays for as long as he has to, to hear anyone and everyone's confession. And I was so struck by what he presented to us that night that I was, ended up being the last person in confession. And I'm a little bit of a wise guy, you know, so on the way to the confessional, I, uh, I pass by the uh, uh, vending machine and I get out a bottle of water and, and then I, you know, pass by the newspaper stand and I pick up a little newspaper and I walk into the confessional. I said, good evening, Father, how you doing? And, and he said, he said, good, what, what, what's this stuff all about? And I said, well, you know, you've been hearing confessions all night. I thought you might want some water. He's like, okay, what about the newspaper? I said, well, it's in case you get bored hearing mine. <laughs> he, he said, sit down, you pagan. <laughs> I was like, man, I didn't even get started yet. This guy knows me, you know. <laughs> I had this powerful confession with Father Larry. And at one point in the confession, he said, have you ever thought about being a priest? I told him, you know, Father, I have. And then I gave him some sort of lame excuse as to why I hadn't pursued it. And he said, well, come on, you pagan, just do it. <laughs> so there we go. Called me a pagan again. <laughs> I got a little bit of work to do, I guess. So uh, just do it. Just be a priest. And after the confession, I went and I was praying through my penance. And I just sat there again. And I started to think about what he said. Just do it. Just be a priest. And the more I sat with that thought the more this overwhelming joy flooded my entire being, my mind, my heart, my soul. And I knew what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I was going to be a priest. About a month later, maybe not even a month later, one of the professors in my major approached me and he said, listen, uh, we have this great opportunity for you to stay and do graduate work if you'd like. And if you, if you agree to this, if you say yes to this, your classes will be taken care of. You'll get to teach. You'll do research. You'll get a stipend. You'll have health care. <laughs> so really, he was dangling this golden carrot in front of me. 
I only have one sibling, my younger brother. He was also at Penn State. And I thought, you know what? This is an area I really wanted to learn more about. And who knows where life is going to take us. It's, it's some more time to spend with my brother. So as powerful as that moment was with Father Larry a few weeks earlier, I said no to that. I said yes to grad school. Well, what ensued were probably the, the darkest three years of my life. I really struggled, probably uh, depressed, uh, trying to work through this project that was totally underestimated. A master's degree in engineering would take typically maybe two years most, and your thesis might be about 100, 200 pages. Mine took three years, and my thesis was 400 pages exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of tears in those pages, let me tell you. <laughs> but in the, in the difficulty of, of that struggle, in the difficulty of my research, and the failures I experienced through that, I started to feel I can't go through life on my own. I need a helpmate. And only by God's grace was I still going to Mass, and I was still going to this Catholic prayer group on campus. And in this Catholic prayer group, I met this young, beautiful woman. We started to hang out. We got closer. We started dating. And at this point, I had graduated and I was working. And I felt that, you know what? Her name was Molly. Molly's the one. Molly's the one for me. I'm going to ask her to marry me. And so I set up this whole weekend, and, and uh, I, I angered her because she wanted me to go home and spend time with her and her family. And I said, no, I can't do it. I, some stuff going on with work. But really, I was going to be there and surprise her. And, and I met her in the chapel where we met. And I walked in with flowers and, uh, you know, totally caught her off guard. I, I had the conversation with her father about half an hour before he gave me thumbs up and went in and... Um, <laughs> Just had a great conversation with her. I had a great time of prayer with her. And at the end, I did like the really cheesy thing where I'm pretending I had, I had to tie my shoe. And <laughs> as I'm kneeling, I look up at her, ask her to marry me. She says, yes. Super joyful occasion. Uh, very excited. And we're starting to plan our wedding. We're starting to move towards getting married. It, it, uh, it's an adventure. But as we're moving towards that, this disquiet starts to form in my heart. And it went back to that moment with Father Larry. Like, I had this very powerful invitation to be a priest. And I said no to that. And this disquiet maybe started as a whisper and it was growing into a shout. And so much so that I had to bring it to Molly's attention. I wanted a good relationship with her. I wanted to be honest, transparent with her. I said, Molly, you know, this is going to sound really crazy, but I feel like the Lord is asking me to be a priest. And she said, well, you know, you're a good Catholic man, and it's only natural that any good Catholic man at some point in their lives would think that. I was like, oh, yeah, it's just a passing fancy. And plus, she looked kind of pretty when she said stuff like that. So, <laughs> all right, you know, uh, just a passing fancy. Well, we were at Mass together, um, like we will be here later this morning. And it was during the consecration at Mass. And I heard these words, feed my sheep, priest. Now, we hear God speak to us in our consciences. Sometimes it's saying, go help that person. They need help right now. Or it's, get out of this situation. This is a bad place to be. But this was like a lightning bolt struck my heart. It was almost audible. And, and I remember kind of looking around. And, and uh, I was raised in an Italian family, okay? And Italians, if you know anything about us, we're, we're very thick-skulled. We're very stubborn. And we like to argue, right? <laughs> Just generically speaking. <laughs> so... I'm going to argue with God. God, this cannot be you. 
this cannot be you because I'm sitting next to this beautiful woman that I'm going to marry in three months. And I started to come up with every reasonable argument I could think of. And at the end of the arguing, I was frustrated, I was tired, and I just said, okay, God, okay, if this is really you, how do I tell her what you just told me? And as soon as I asked the question, she turned to me, she said, you need to be a priest. (laughs) She got the exact same word at the exact same time. And it broke our hearts. It really did. It took us about a month to end our our relationship. And um, it hurt our families too. You know, difficult process. But we knew this was a sacrifice God was asking of us. And he gave us the grace to say yes to it. And that's one thing I've found, uh, especially in religious life, and as I've lived this religious life, again, entering uh, with Father Angelus about 10 years ago, uh, is that when God gives the command, he supplies the grace to live it. When God gives the command, he supplies the grace to live it. It's just a matter of our, our, our own hearts being open to that grace. And so after ending our relationship, I, I finished up my projects at work, and uh, I moved home uh, with my parents, which moving home as a 30-year-old in your parents' home is, is a little bit awkward. But I'll tell you what, I had an incredible year with my parents that I'll never get back. And God, you know, provided that for me. Very grateful for that year. And in that year, I discerned, and I met these gray friars <laughs> in Harlem, New York. I had to say, my first visit to Harlem, um, I showed up in the evening, and I had this backpack on, <laughs> I might as well have had tourists stamped on my forehead, <laughs> bug me. <laughs> and I show up to the, the friary door. They just finished their dinner. And I, I walk into this huge refectory dining room filled with men, long beards and gray robes. And my first thought was, really, Lord? I left a beautiful woman for this. <laughs> and then I encountered this deep-seated joy. I encountered their prayer life, their fraternity, their love for one another, the love for the poor, the love for pro-life ministry, how they spread the word through their preaching. And I fell in love. It wasn't long after that first initial thought where I, I heard, again, almost audibly, welcome home. And so uh, I've made final vows as a, as a brother. And uh, as I shared with you last night, I've just been granted consent to begin studies for the priesthood. I'm very excited about that, overjoyed, and again, ask for your prayers for that. And also promise my prayers for you as we're here together this weekend and as we go from here. All right, good morning, everyone. I'm grateful for Brother Vittorio. We've been in the community for 10 years, and not only is he my brother, but he's a good friend, and so it's good. We're spoiled to be on the road together. It's good to... Good to have brothers. Typically, as Franciscans, we try not to go alone places. So when Father Gary invited me, uh, I was excited to see what brother could come with me. And so Brother Vittorio, they don't do anything in New Mexico, so he's free. That was a joke. They do a lot in New Mexico, but I knew he was (laughs) excited to come. I hope everybody got some rest. And yeah, I just, my my, uh, feeling on my heart this morning was just, again, how much the Lord wants to bless us in this short time how much he wants to be available to us and the graces he wants to pour out on us. I hope you guys experience that too. The Lord really has a word he wants to speak. Um, he really has something concrete and personal he wants to do this weekend. Um, and all of you, I hope you experience that in a, in a real way. So I, I, I thank the Lord ahead of time for what he is going to do. 
in, in, the, in your hearts, especially as you come and open and tired and yeah, just with great expectations of his, of his presence and his care for you. Last night, just to recap, we talked about two certainties. John Paul talks about these two certainties. John Paul II, St. John Paul II, and he, and again, just to remind you that, number one, how infinitely loved we are by God. And because of this love, we are more aware of our capacity to share that love. We receive this love, this infinite love of God, this unconditional love of God. And then we're aware of how God works in our hearts and the responsibility because of receiving this love that we have to be able to share it. And one of the themes that we're going to unpack over these next few days is it's really hard to love people sometimes. And so that's why the way we discover the depths of that love is the ability that God gives us to share it, especially when it's difficult, um, especially when we feel like we can't do it. So, and he says, John Paul II says that when we love in this way, when we experience love, and when we love in, these, in the, the depths of our ability to respond, we are freed from the need, this is his quote, we are freed from the need to be at the center of everything. When we experience love in this way and to realize the responsibility we have to be able to love others in this way, we are freed from the need to be at the center of everything. Saints understood that they weren't it wasn't necessary for them to be the center of attention. It wasn't about them. And so when we love in this way, we're set free from needing to be the center. And I need more of that in my life. Just a couple months ago, I was at a conference and this young, young man came up to me, thousands of people, thousands of young people, this young man came up to me and asked me to pray with him and to chat with him. And I said, absolutely. And so we were praying, again, thousands of people around, but we were just going for it right there. He started to cry in, in this prayer, he started to weep a little bit. And I was just really asking the Lord to reveal his love for him. I was asking the Father to have this young man who was broken and suffering a lot to experience the love of the Father, just to be encouraged in this moment and after I prayed, and he has these tears in his eyes, he, he looks at me, and he says, Father, could you tell me again that the Father loves me? Could you tell me again that the Father loves me? And I said, of course. And I reminded him again about who he was and how much the Father loved him. Retreat is a time to be just told again, reminded again of the truth Reminded against and the darkness and the anxiety, the struggles, just the chaos of life, the struggles, the busyness, the distractions. Reminded again of who we are, how much the Father loves us. In October, uh, I, as many of you know, just in case you don't know, my twin brother, I should say my triplet brother, Father Innocent, is in our community as well. He is back in New York right now, and um, he is responsible for the, the young men who have joined our way of life. So we have nine postulants, we call them, so he is responsible for them. And he decided that it would be a good idea to go on a 21-day wilderness experience in this past October. I'm so happy that I had nothing to do with that. 
21 days in, our, in, uh, in the desert of Utah. And uh, communities and seminaries, people are starting to do this kind of program for the young men who joined. Just for these guys to get outside to learn leadership and virtue training, learn how to kind of rough it a little bit. Um, especially from the world, there's a lot of distractions and there's a lot of, of things that kind of keep guys from kind of growing up. So something like this, 21 days in the desert, um, is, uh, has been successful. So our community decided to do it. Father Innocent took these guys out there. One of the, the, the stories that they like to tell, and, and I think it helps us to understand what we want to do this weekend, is one of the days they started to hike um, and, and go into a canyon in the, in the afternoon. And when it started to get dark after dinner, they realized that they were not in the canyon that they thought they were in. And so it wasn't until about midnight that they were able to, to get out of this canyon because the two guides who were professionals from Wyoming Catholic College didn't realize that they were not in the correct canyon. And so they were trying to go into one canyon and they were going to make their way through it. What was so significant for our guys is that they had to deal with what was in front of them and they were pushed beyond anything they thought that they could imagine. And they had, a lot of guys said that they never felt like they had, had been in a most serious or dangerous situation in their entire life. Um, and you ask them how they got out of it. They had to, they had to scoot through ravines and, and cliffs and things that, again, that these uh, guides had never done because they'd never been in that canyon. Complete dark out, all their headlamps on, and they had no clue where they were going. The when you, when you asked them, it was the ability to push through, and it was the ability to come together that was good for them to learn. But they said that they never felt like they weren't going to make it to the end because of the two guides. They said because of, we had these guides, because those these guides had had been through these situations before, knew what to do in case they were in danger knew how to prepare them, knew how to, how to walk with them, and knew how to come up with a plan, even though they, it was new to them as well. They, they knew because they had these professional guides that they were going to be okay, and they were. And that's the story they, they continue to tell. It's, it's interesting, my brothers and sisters, because one of the, the community, as the community was reflecting on this trip, and we were deciding if we need to do it again next year, it's an expensive trip, and, and we're to, one of the guys said, can we do it ourselves? You know, do we have to kind of spend that much money? Maybe we can go to our retreat house in upstate New York and kind of go camping and hiking for, for a couple of weeks, and that would be able to be nice for the guys. And my brother kind of like adamantly said no. And they, they were like, why do you feel so passionate about this? And he said, he said, only when we were pushed, only when we were put in situations that we had never been in before, only when we had to take risks, only when we had to overcome these things were we able to kind of grow. Were we able to change? And he said, and the, the reason we were able to push ourselves is because we had guys with us that knew what to do, that had been in situations like that before, and we trusted them. And they showed us the way as we listened to them, and we, we, they, they told us exactly what to do to get out of this situation. I was thinking about this. Saints are our guide. Saints are the guys that have been there before. Saints are the ones who have suffered. Saints are the ones who had been persecuted. Saints are the ones who were, who were 
priests and religious and lay people who suffered for the Lord, who, who pushed themselves beyond anything they thought they could imagine to experience God's grace and God's care and the ability to grow and the ability to change the world. We look to these saints. We look to people who have been there. When, when we're discouraged in our own work, when we're discouraged in our own relationships, when we're discouraged in our marriages, when we, when we don't know what to do, or we don't know, is anything really happening? Am I really growing? Is this prayer time really fruitful? What am I doing? Can I just kind of do it on my own? Maybe we can just kind of, maybe I can just kind of like skate through just on my own. We read the lives of the saints, and the saints were like, no, we can, we can go further, and we can go deeper, and we can grow even more, and we can convert even more, and we can become holier. There can be more of God and less of me. People have done it. What do we need at this moment in the church? We need people who are willing to take risks. We need people who are willing to go deeper. We need people who are willing to give more. To open their hearts up more. To love more. And we're encouraged when we read the lives of the saints and when we're encouraged when we know that it's possible. We know that we as human beings with our intellects and wills and our weaknesses and our sufferings and whatever we go through, it's possible to respond to grace. It's possible to have this thing in my life that I struggle with and it's possible to overcome it. It's possible to heal. It's possible to be confronted with my anxiety or be confronted with my anger or be confronted with my, how my heart is judgmental or to be confronted with whatever it might be. It's possible to experience God's grace and experience God's healing in a way to have that be overcome. And the only way I know that is because I know in the lives of the saints that it's done. We were listening to Father Benedict over breakfast. I don't know if everybody knew that. Father Benedict Rochelle is the founder of our community. So that was his voice. We always love hearing him because we knew him when he was a bit older. And so this is him in his young days. But he, uh, it's so wonderful that you guys get that opportunity to hear him too. Maybe we should just play his talks. For... We know it can be done. We know it's possible because the saints have done it. And so the, the saints create a roadmap. They create a blueprint of what it means to respond to grace. Just recently, my, my job for the community right now is to work in our vocation office. And so I always joke that I work with the guys before they're in community, and then I give them to Father Innocent when they're in community. So I just kind of push them off to him. But my experience of working with young men is a lot of young men are kind of obsessed. Get this. They're obsessed with God's will. They're obsessed, and they talk about God's will. I want to do God's will. I just want to know God's will. If I just knew God's will, I'd do it. I, I give up everything to follow God's will. And so I let them talk and talk and talk. But it's, it's like God's will is out there somewhere. And I'm sure we've all done it. We have this, you wouldn't be here, probably. You have this interior disposition. You're like, yeah, I'm open to the will of God. I want to do what God wants me to do. But sometimes we think as it, we just need to sit around and wait for that to happen. I wonder what God's will, I wonder when that's going to show up today. We do the same thing with prayer. Sometimes, somehow, the, like, this prayer is like this mysterious gift that's somewhere out there. The gift of silence somehow 
is, is, is somewhere exterior to us. Because of the life of God within us, the gift of silence and the gift of prayer is inside of us. Because what is the gift of prayer? It's an awareness of God's intimate presence to us. When you come to pray today, when we have adoration, put down your books or, or even put down the rosary for a second. And to look at the monstrance, like we said yesterday, saints look to Jesus and they never take their eyes off him. Just look at him and let your heart inside, interior, be aware of how present he is to you. Even when we get distracted, we maybe become not present to the Lord, but he never stops becoming present to us. He's always present to us. Intimately looking at us, intimately keeping us in his grace, in his life. It's not out there. God's will is not something that when you have it all together and when you finally get over these sins or get over these struggles and you finally start to pay attention to the Lord, God's will is not not something out there that's finally going to happen. Somehow we think that I'm just going to sit around and wait for God's will. I was talking to this one kid and he said, brother, what do I do? I just want to do God's will. He's talking about all about the past. He's talking all about the future. What he's done in the past and how, how, he, how his struggles have hurt him and what he's nervous and anxious about the future. And I said, his name was John. I said, John, what is God doing right now in your life? He went on and on and on about the gift of what God was doing in his life. But to him, that had nothing to do with what God, was, what God wanted him to do in God's will. God's will, again, was somewhere else. To the saints, my brothers and sisters, God's will is right now. The grace of his will is what God is doing in your life right now. How is he moving? How is he working? It's the way his grace is active. I don't know how many, the saint I want to tell you guys about this morning, I don't know how many of you have heard of him. His name is Father Walter Chiswick. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Father Walter Chiswick. He was born in the early 1900s, but he was known, he was a Jesuit priest who what was, he was a Polish guy and he was raised and he was just a tough guy. He was tough on his parents. He was tough at school. He never listened to anybody. He was always just had an edge to him and he wanted to do the hardest thing in the world. And to him, the hardest thing in the world was to become, be, go become a Jesuit missionary. And so when he was in Jesuit in New York City, when he went to the Jesuit seminary, they had just opened the missions to Russia. This was in the 20s and the 30s. They just opened a mission to the Russia. And, he, and they said, this will be the hardest thing anybody ever does. And that would fit his lifestyle. Oh, that sounds good. I, want, I do hard things. I'm good at doing hard things. So he went there. He went, to, he went to the seminary in Rome to study to go to Russia. And then they went into Poland to get one step closer to Russia. And he disguised himself in a labor camp and a labor force that went from Poland to Russia just so he could get there as, as a hidden priest. With the first few weeks of being in Russia, he was arrested and charged of being a Vatican spy. For him, this was awesome because he gets to go to prisons. And prison's hard. And this is where I can, this is where I can live for the Lord and this is where I can do my thing. 
And he was tortured and beaten and drugged. And in the midst of one of his struggles, being drugged and tortured, he signed a document that said he was a spy. And in that moment, he he felt this rush of guilt, rush of shame, and he was defeated. He was defeated, and he got frustrated because he said, how could this be what God wants for me? He said, I'm not being used as a priest. Because for him, the priesthood was about doing these glorious things, being this amazing, exceptional missionary. But this is where God had led him. So he got frustrated and angry. And now he was a spy. Or now he, was, he, he turned himself over. One night in his cell, he had an experience of God when he cried out. And he had an experience where he realized for the first time that it was his own will and his own desires and his own demanding way of living that was all about him, that he had gotten him into this spot. He had a conversion right there in his cell. When he kept asking, Lord, where are you? Where are you? What are you doing? He had a conversion. They they call him the apostle of God's providence. Because his life in that moment was transformed to no longer just be about what he thought that he wanted to kind of earn and do the hard things and earn his priesthood and earn his salvation and be the guy. But he started to see God's will as not something out there, but this was his will for him right there to experience his care and his providence right in prison. He says this. No matter how close my soul felt to God, how blessed it was by the awareness of his presence on occasions, the realities of life were always at hand, always demanding recognition always demanding acceptance. At every moment, I have to continually accept God's will, not as I wished it would be, not as it might have been, but as it actually was in this very moment. There was a single vision, this is him in prison, there was a single vision of God who is in all things. And I came to understand in prison that there was one will that directed all things, It was God's will. I only had to see it. I had to discern it in every circumstance and let myself, make the choice to let myself be ruled by it. To discern this in every situation and circumstance, to see him in all things and to accept every moment in confidence and in trust. At the depths of of his crying out, he says, nothing can separate me from him. No danger, no torture, no fear can shake me except losing sight of him. The future is in his hands. And in this moment, by not renouncing all control of my life and putting my future destiny in his hands, I relieved myself of every responsibility, but only to do his will and to accept his presence. Father Chiswick had the kind of personality 
where he was, he was the instigator and the initiator of his life. For me, in my own experience in high school and college, I was living a life of grace. I said this to some of you the other night at the meeting I was with. I was, I was living a life of grace, but it was often like Father Chiswick. It was very much trying to be holy on my own terms. It was very much trying to be holy in my own way. And so therefore, because of my personality too, everything was calculated and everything was in order. I was going to do this, and then I was going to do this, and then I was going to get married, and then I was going to do this. It was all about me. I certainly did not suffer what Father Chizik suffered, but I had great friends and good people in my life that kind of called me on, called me beyond myself, basically said to get over myself. Because when we cling to control of our own life, anything that comes against that, we get, we get offended. Anybody or anything that tries to take control of our life, the neat life that we've kind of planned, we get threatened. It is in this moment that Father Chiswick was able to experience freedom. He was in prison for 15 years in Russia. And then in 1964, the Americans traded two Russian agents for him, and he was able to come back to the United States. His community thought he was dead. They hadn't heard from him. All of a sudden, one of their guys gets on a plane and comes home. It's beautiful. Our, one of our sisters, our mother superior, was he, Father Chizik became her spiritual director when he came back to the States in the 70s. So this was a guy that just, he continued to, he had a conversion, and he, he came back a new man. He wasn't tough, that tough anymore. He wasn't, uh, yeah, he was, he was simple and childlike and peaceful after he'd been broken down in prison. He wasn't this gruff guy and he wasn't this demanding guy. Practically, my brothers and sisters today, I'd, I want to, I want to encourage us. The, the saints found a way to surrender. They found a way to accept God's will. And to accept God's will, we need to see God's will. Father Chiswick's goal in his later in life as he preached and gave retreats, it was to help people understand how God's providence is in every moment. Could we leave this retreat this weekend with a different vision? To see God truly acting and, and truly caring for me and truly providing for me. All the things that happen in my life are an opportunity to surrender to him. The opportunity to accept him. The good and the bad. The gifts and the challenges. But if, if you come here this weekend, and, and again, the hope is, is just to take a step and our holiness, to take a step in wanting to grow and to take a step in wanting to convert, to be just a little more open to God's grace, to let go of just a little bit that might keep us, to bind us, to burden us, to let go of some of that stuff. If we're going to open up just a little bit and we're going to take these steps, when, when it comes to God's providence, 
We have to start to open our eyes. And I said a a little bit of this last night. But if God's will is in every moment, how do we face then every moment? How do we accept every moment? How do we receive every moment? Why do we wake up in the morning and get on our knees? Because that's the best way to start today, to say, Lord, I'm starting this day in this very moment, giving it to you. And then we look out and see the sunrise. Lord, that's you. And we go for the day, and if we can just be a little more open, that means we have to see. We see the Lord. We see his blessings. And when we see the challenges that, that we face, we, we face them with trust that God's allowing this. Why is he allowing it? Not to punish me. But he's allowing it for me to remi- rely on him even more. Lord, this, I got this difficult situation. I have this difficult conversation. Lord, me and my spouse are struggling right now. She's really irritating me, or I'm really irritating her. We're not talking. Our kids, Lord, they're far away from the church. I have this significant meeting. I have these significant decisions to make. Lord, one of my, my sons or my daughters is this. If all these things. Lord, I have this class to teach. These friends. The difficult situations in the church. What is the Lord doing? How do I see him? What is he inviting me to? In in my acceptance of this, what is he allowing me to do? He's allowing me to become more free. Surrendering what I want. Surrendering what I think should happen. Father Chiswick is the saint of divine providence because he had a conversion to understand that God is loving me in every moment. In every circumstance, in every conversation, in every opportunity. But we have to see it. And then at the end of the day, what do, what do we think the whole point of an examination of conscience is at the end of the day? It's, it's been a Catholic pike practice to, at the end of the day to say the act of contrition is to do an examination of conscience. If we're really thinking about it, if we're putting all these things together, what is the point of that? It's not necessarily just to think about our sins. It's to say, Lord, look at all the many ways you have blessed me today. Look at all the many ways you have revealed yourself to me today. And then what does that allow us to do? That allows us to say, Lord, if you took care of me today, if you have loved me today and you have cared for me today, I'm going to go to bed tonight trusting because I know if you did it today, do it tomorrow, regardless of whatever's going on, whatever I have to face. See, trust, I, I spoke about this the other night too, trust is not necessarily a virtue like we think it is. I can't just get up every day and say, I'm going to trust today. Look at me trusting. I'm so good at trusting. It doesn't work that way. Father Walter tried that. Do it himself. The do-it-yourself mentality does not get you very far. Trust is more of a fruit of a way of living. It's a fruit of a spirit. When we live in the spirit, when we live the power of grace, and we let the Lord work in our hearts, I see God work. I see how much he loves me, and I see how much he cares for me. And then I know that I have a God worthy of my surrender. Worthy of my trust. 
So I can let go. I cannot worry. I don't need to be anxious. He's worthy of our trust. And so I, at the end of the day, I say, Lord, look at all these ways you provided for me. I can trust and go to sleep because you're going to provide for me tomorrow. Trust is a gift, but it's because we live a particular way and experience God in a particular way that he allows us to do that. There's another prayer that I want to end with. Father, this is Father Walter's words here. This is also attributed to his prison writings. Lord Jesus Christ, I ask the grace to accept the sadness in my heart as your will for me in this very moment. I are offered up in union with your sufferings for those who are in deepest need of your redeeming grace. I surrender myself to your Father's will and I ask you to help me to move on to the next task that you have set out before me. Spirit of Christ, help me to enter a deeper union with you. Lead me away from dwelling on the hurt I feel, to thoughts of charity for those who need my love, to thoughts of compassion for those who need my care, and to thoughts of giving to those who need my help. As I give myself to you in this very moment, help me to provide for the salvation of those who come in contact, I come into contact with. May I find my healing, my conversion, in this giving. May I always be given the grace to accept your will. May I find my true self by living for others in a spirit of sacrifice and suffering. And may I die more fully to myself and live more fully alive in you. As I seek to surrender to my Father's will, may I come to trust that he will do everything for me. I googled recently what, whether Father uh, Chizik had some sort. He sounds like a guy who is in recovery. He sounds like a guy who maybe had an addiction. There's no public record of that. But he writes and he prays that way. Lord, help me to accept this. We, we work with men in recovery. We work with guys. We go through 12-step meetings with them. It's all over that. Lord, help me to accept this. Help me, help me to accept my powerlessness. We have an amazing ability as humans to dwell on things. To dwell. We dwell and we ruminate we obsess, and we dwell, and we dwell, and we dwell. That's why I love this prayer. Help me to move on. And that's the grace I want to pray for us today. I surrender myself to Father's will, and I ask you to help me to move on to the next thing. We don't dwell because we trust. We don't dwell because it's like, Lord, what is dwelling going to allow me to do? Whatever's going on and whatever you bring, say you have an intention for this weekend and it's a struggle that you're facing within your families, your friends, whatever's going on, a sickness, a challenge. Lord, I'm not going to dwell on this because I'm going to give it to you. And I'm not going to get stuck here. We get stuck on these things. But I'm not going to dwell. And I pray for the grace to move on to the next thing. Saints have the ability to keep going. They didn't get stuck. Because why? Because God's providence is now in this moment. It's in this conversation and it's in this opportunity. 
in this meeting at work, in this ability to help my neighbor, in this ability to spend time with my kids, now it's in God's providence. I can't dwell on those things. I may not be able to forget about it, but Lord, it's in your hands. Give me the grace not to dwell. Give me the grace to move on. Father Walter had this ability for 15 years. He just said that every day. They called this his prayer of surrender. Every day. Give me the grace to do the next best thing. Give me the grace to see what's next. Give me the grace to accept your will for me. Trusting that you will do everything for me. As we prepare for Mass... And as we enter into the silent part of the day, which is great, we have another conference, I believe, at three. Where are you at with accepting God's will? Where are you at in just letting go of the need to control? Of the need to accept? What are you, in your life are you clinging to? What, what, what causes you worry or what causes you anxiety? I also said this the other night too, it, just in case we all need to be reminded of this. It is not God's will for you to worry. It is not God's will for you to be anxious. It is not God's will for you to live afraid. It is the enemy's plan to have God's people worry, anxious, tired, and afraid. We just need to stand against that. That is the truth. That is not my own personal opinion. It is the truth. This is not God's will for us to be burdened by these things. It's also not God's will for us to think that it's up to me on my own. Father Walter shows us that. He lived 30 years of his priesthood trying to do it on his own. And that's what I think is so awesome. His conversion wasn't before he was ordained. His conversion is when he was crushed by the circumstances of life and realized that he couldn't do it on his own. That's the conversion I need. And that's the conversion that we're really, Brother Vittorio and I are really praying for, that the saints had this ability, and they all had a moment. Father was in prison, and Brother Vittorio, not Father Vittorio was not in prison, Father Chizix was in prison. Brother Vittorio is going to talk about other saints, and I myself as well. But everybody had this moment. The thing for us, Pope Francis uses this term, middle-class Catholics. The thing for us middle-class Catholics is that we're not going to be in prison and have a conversion. Hope not. But in the ordinary, everyday circumstances of life, we're going to have a moment to have the experience with God where we say, Lord, I want to trust more. I'm tired of worrying. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of having control. Because the Lord wants us to grow. He wants us to change. He wants us to to take another good step. That's how we're going to take another. That's how we're going to have this moment. We're going to have this another opportunity. But we have to stop. We have to take a deep breath. We just have to say, Lord... This is what you want for me. I don't know how to do it. 
but I know that I need to accept your will and surrender to you. We pray for Father Chiswick that we will have the experience like he did to be able to have so much confidence in every moment that God's present. So much confidence that he's blessing us. So much confidence that he's already within us, that he's never apart from us. And so much confidence that if we want to pray, all we have to do is to acknowledge his presence with inside of us. He's so close to us. Let's begin there and just trust that he wants, wants this for us. And this retreat, these couple days, can be a moment where we receive the grace to see him everywhere. And to see him in everything. And then have this daily opportunity to surrender, to accept, and to see how much he wants to do in our lives. This is what it means to follow him. And this is what the saints teach us. We follow these guides into the canyons, into the struggles. On this amazing journey and this amazing adventure. And they show us, hey, if you have this moment, if you let God do this, beautiful things can happen. We pray for Father Chizik's intercession for the grace to accept God's will today, in this very moment. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be, world without end.